Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Welcome in for a podcast conversation, Hannah Dunn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All good. All good. We've heard uh, also we've heard a couple of chapters of your business story so far um, as the director of Dots Occupational Therapy for Children. So it's been a a, a little while, um, and we've had COVID, and your family's grown, and your business has grown, and you moved house, and all of those things. So lots of good catch ups yeah. for us. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what DOTS looks like nowadays. What are we? What are we? August 22. Yes. I think it was about a year ago that we last Mm. caught up. So um, one of the big changes that we've had is that we've introduced another level of leadership. So we have um, me as the director and my husband's also joined the business now and he's a business development manager. So that's us now both working in the business and juggling kids. So that's been another learning for the last few months. Um, And then we've had our practice managers for quite a while now. Mm. Then at the start of last year, we brought in our team leaders, so our OT team leaders. And now as of last month, we've brought in stream leaders. So um, that's been really exciting. What they look like is that a team leader has a day of non-clinical work in which they support the team and a stream leader has half a day a fortnight in which they work on project work. Um, and are also available to support the team a little bit more too. Very interesting. So what's it like uh, with Warwick, your uh, your partner, joining the business? Yeah, it's been um, really exciting. Warwick's background is that he is in, uh, he was a carpenter and was a site supervisor for jobs. And um, we just found that with our business, with DOTS getting to be the size that it is, which we have three main sites and 25 on the team at the moment, um, that it was just really hard to manage young kids as well and be able to negotiate those sick days and pick ups and drop offs and all those wonderful things that happen when you've got a young family. <laughs> so we spoke about Warwick coming into the business to be a business development manager, to be able to take on um, working with Lisa and Louise, our practice managers around our policy development and He's done similar work before he was a carpenter. Um, but what he's actually ended up doing is we are going to be opening a new clinic in Werribee, which will be eight rooms plus a gym space instead of our Hoppers Crossing clinic, which will move to there, which is currently four rooms. And one of those rooms has some gym equipment in it. And so he has been doing his carpentry thing and doing oh. our fit out and managing that. And yeah, so that's been really great. He's been looking at property and organised all of that. So that's oh, where good. his skills have been, which has taken it off my plate of to-do list. Oh, wow. Into very trusted hands. And so just to yeah. mention that we're talking Melbourne suburbs here. Yes. Melbourne suburbs here as well. Wow. So he's in full time. And then yeah. tell us, I'm curious a little bit about, do you talk about work all the time? 
No, definitely <laughs> not. Um, I think we were talking about work anyway at home because I was mm. debriefing about stuff and he has mm. always been part of the business, just not actively. So yep. always there to talk about numbers. He's very good on the spreadsheets. He's always done that side of stuff. So it hasn't felt like as big a shift because I feel like I was already using him and talking to him. And I think mm. when you listen to your podcast and even um, recently I was listening to one in which other people were talking about um, moving from the teaching profession into their mm. own business and that they had sat down with their husband and looked at the numbers and what it meant for them to get to earning the same wage. And so I think we're all talking to our partners and the important people in our lives about our businesses all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really, really exciting. So how did you kind of um, think through this bit around team leaders? It it just makes such good sense with a team your size. And I'm seeing this really exciting leadership layer build out mm. in so many businesses. What were your kind of decisions around that? I think we are seeing a change in landscape in regards to what companies are offering. And I think previously people didn't have the choice that they have now. So there's a lot of different factors that came in. One factor being that the business is getting bigger and I'm only one person and I'm really passionate about the support that we provide to our team in regards to supervision, professional development, and also variety of work that they can do. So looking at project work, because I think sometimes as directors, we think we need to do it all and we're missing out on opportunities for our teams to grow and develop. And there are people on your teams who want those opportunities to be yeah. the um, student coordinator or to be able to liaise around what professional development the team are going to be doing and manage that professional development organisation. And so it came from a place of my team wanting diversity in their workload, but also from a place in which I can't be everything to everyone. And so I need people to be able to do that for me. And so I think they're the main reasons in which it came about. Um, and also it helps in regards, I know you talk about um, when we're looking at recruitment needing to be marketers sometimes, and I think it helps with our marketing, having people who are really passionate about us and about being the faces who are going out to meet with schools and child cares or being the student coordinator. So they're managing the student placements and liaising with those universities. And um, that's helped our reach. Yeah. It also speaks to um, the opportunities that um, the private sector can add to career opportunities and career pathways as well. And building in some variety about how the work week looks, you can have some clinical work, some coaching work, some project work as well. And people can kind of move through a clinical pathway or they can move through a management pathway or even a project management pathway as, as well. It's really, really exciting seeing mm. these opportunities uh around around now um so I you've got your point, yeah go i'm just going to say i think that point on pathways is really important mm. because the pathways didn't used to be what they are now in private practices and i yep. think it's um really when you used to talk about private practices and even dots back nine years ago we were really looking at our revenue generation and about where that was coming from there wasn't the funding that we have now and so to be able to have a little bit more flexibility and being able to invest in our team by saying that we can take away some of that clinical caseload and give them an afternoon in which they're not seeing clients which means technically not generating revenue but in the long term absolutely adding value to the team and what's happening there so I'd really encourage private practices if you're not already looking at that looking at 
not necessarily at revenue generating from the numbers, but they're absolutely adding value in ways that will eventually generate revenue. Yeah, revenue supporting tends to be mm. the um, the phrase that I use. And if they weren't doing that work, there, there could well be some exposure and fragility that pops up across um, the clinicians and the customer service team um, team as well. So you've got the three spaces at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. What's it like having team across three places? Yeah, so we have a couple of other sites too that are just satellite sites, so they're not our main site. So um, it's been it's definitely something I actively work on. It doesn't just happen. Mm. So we have um, Slack as our communication channel in which we are all actively on. So that's open on everyone's computer so that people are communicating with each other all day, no matter where they are in which location. So that helps us make Mm. us feel connected. We also have our professional development that we run in-house once a fortnight on a Wednesday. So everyone logs on to a Zoom call from wherever they are. So if people are um, even out on the community working in a school or somewhere, they can still jump into that and feel connected with the Mm. team, which is great. And then I also have almost everyone on my team working across sites. So our clinics are close enough together that it's not too far of a stretch for people to Mm. work between two locations. So that helps as well for us to feel connected because um, there's always people going between the clinics. It's not just that five people who work at this clinic are staying there and getting closer and closer without having those connections with the rest of the team. And then we also close our clinic a couple of times a year in which we come together as a whole team for mm. professional development once mm. a term. Yeah. Good old technology. It uh, mm. is such a, a, an important part of um, workplace sort of social social glue. How would you describe your team culture? Yeah, I think to culture is a word that gets thrown around in every job ad to say, we've got great team culture. Yeah, but what does that what mean? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. I think our team culture is phenomenal. I ask my team in their reviews around how they would describe our team culture. And um, one thing that regularly comes up is that everyone's willing to share and willing to learn. And so I think that creates for a really great culture. Mm. The other thing is that we have um, a really strong belief in which I just continually mentioned, no doubt I would have mentioned it last time we spoke, that there's nothing that can't be solved with good communication. So as long as we're communicating about things, then it can absolutely be solved. And so there's nothing off topic. The therapist can ask me anything they want and creating a really safe space in which those difficult conversations can happen. And we do do a lot of work around difficult Mm. conversations. So I think um, the culture is not just my responsibility, but the responsibility of everyone on the team to make sure that we're pulling each other up as well when um, when people are, I think the thing that can create really toxic environments is when people are having a bit of a whinge about something that's not going right for them or that they don't like, and then there's no solution. So mm. we do a lot of work around solution-focused learning and about how to coach each other to say, is this something that actually needs to go a bit further than us just having a debrief? Of course, it's good to have debriefs where you can and there's always going to be things that bother you at times, but the difference between what is a debrief and what is actually a problem that needs a solution. Yeah. 
Yeah, and one, you know, a, a culture that is phenomenal for one person may not be at all supportive or encouraging for somebody else. So it is quite a matchmaking piece uh, for mm. clinicians to find their nest and to nest into an organisation that really aligns with their values. And that sort of adds another another coding to the, the recruitment piece, doesn't it, is making sure that you're bringing in team that are the best cultural fit that you can manage in that moment because culture is also also change across time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You can have one person come on board who can really shift that culture quite dramatically mm. very, very quickly. So I think you make a really great point in that it starts at recruitment. It definitely starts from the moment that you are meeting with someone and how that onboarding happens. And I know that that's something at the moment in Melbourne and I'm sure across Australia that um, just not panic hiring in this landscape that we're in mm. and getting bodies on the team just for the sake of getting them because it's going to cause more issues in the long run than making sure you're recruiting well for your team and your culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't agree more. But on what's interesting and, you know, and really, really helpful is that there is a lot of movement in the workforce at the moment. Um, You know, clinicians are moving around and they're moving you know, not just within a metro, they're moving um, to other cities and um, mixing it up and part-time here and part-time there and telehealth Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And I think uh, after the last couple of years, people are sort of saying, all righty, looks good, time for change, we're going to mix it up a little bit and, yeah, packing their bags, which is really, um, it's it's good, it's good. Um, And, you know, whilst your loss might be somebody else's gain, um, it's a little bit like that at the moment. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because actually at this stage, we've got three OTs signed on to join us over the next Mm. kind of four months. One's coming from Tasmania, one from Newcastle and one from Perth. Yeah, see, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of the, um, we might not quite get overseas just yet, but we're going to have a change of of, um, landscape, change of landscape. So if we just quickly touch on the last couple of years, because we sort of have alluded to that. Boy, oh boy, what um, what uh, a steep learning curve for business owners like you, yeah. yourself. So now that COVID is largely in the rearview mirror, depending which podcast you listen to, let's just sit with the fact that it's largely in the rearview mirror. And you know, Melbourne in 2021, um, it was it was grim. It was it was it was pretty steep. What what have you learnt as a business owner during these last 12 months? Yeah, I think for me, what we've really learned and as a business is technology for sure. And definitely the team was not as open to Zoom chats and um, we didn't have, we were planning on bringing Slack in in January of 2020, which was just before COVID hit. We just introduced it. Mm. So we were very lucky, but it would not Mm. have taken the shape that it has without um, having COVID. I think also just understanding the flexibility that families really need. So mm. we continue to offer telehealth because of those advantages of um, not needing care for the other children and that the research is there to support that it's as an effective way to provide um, therapy as in-person um, subject to the goals that you're working on. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it's a really incredible tool to have for us to be able to use and to be flexible with families and, also thinking about um, different ways in which we can work. So um, whether the hours are different, whether locations are different, 
all of those things. One thing I definitely learned is that I'm not passionate about supporting OTs who aren't um, physically present in my location. We had an OT move to Perth in the time that COVID was happening and she wanted to stay on the team. And so I was like, sure, like we'll have a telehealth, give it a go. go." And Mm. I was not passionate about that. And that's something that's Mm. hard. So I think it's great that there are businesses out there who are passionate about supporting wider teams around um, Australia. But I think it's about learning what's um, valuable for you and what works for you and your team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I've heard that story a couple of times, well, a few times now that team flew out to, you know, be with family during COVID as and when they could. Getting in and out of Victoria was no mean feat. And then business owners were left with hybrid teams. And so is that, well, that's still a team. We're just not seeing everybody. What does this look like? What does this mean for our culture? And it's quite a different way of managing culture mm. and progress and um, this whole thing of teaming. So, yeah, I can totally get that it can work sometimes and not always. And you've got to make those tough decisions as business owners, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've got a team of occupational therapists. Have you got AHAs? No, we haven't gone down the AHA pathway. Mm. I am really interested to kind of, we get approached all the time asking if we've got opportunities, Mm. but for me, I really struggle to get my head around how to best utilize them. And particularly when we have a full team of OTs with using our rooms all the time around how we would support an AHA to be able to use our rooms um, in between those sessions or how the OTs would go around writing those plans. Because there's yeah. definitely the wait list to support us needing more support for our community, but I'm still investigating the ways in which that would work and how others are using them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a point of curiosity and well, how how is it going to work? Is is I hear AHAs and then I hear well, how do I make it work? They they're almost mm. in the one in the one breath and. Um, yeah, you know, it was one of the things that so many people look for in the price guide, wasn't it, as to whether mm. or not that line item had changed at all. Um, because there's value in lots of different ways, but um, it's not easy to get it right, right for the business, the team, right for the AHAs either. Mm. Um, I think there's a, quite a few people sitting waiting for some more sy- systemic changes before stepping towards um, towards that one. Mm. Yeah. And what have been your thoughts over the while about bringing in other disciplines or are you just hardcore OT? That's us. I have had other disciplines. I had a speech pathologist mm. very, very early on. It was a friend of mine and um, it worked reasonably okay. But again, not my passion to be supporting a yeah. speech pathologist or a psychologist and really love working in multidisciplinary teams, background in early intervention in which I worked for a number of years also prior to that in hospitals. So I have a lot of experience working in multidisciplinary teams. What we do instead is I want to be able to remain focused on the OT and passionate about the OT. And so we create really strong networks with other single disciplinary practices. So what that means is that we do joint sessions in which our OTs will go to the speech pathologist mm. um, clinic and sit in on their sessions just to see those sessions in action. And then we offer for them to come and sit in on our sessions. So we have speech pathologists coming and it may not be their clients. It's just to come in for the day to see what an OT does in the same opportunity you'd have if you were working in a multidisciplinary potentially. Um, and then same with the psychologists. And we have the psych present to our team on things like 
um, topics mm. that uh, we need support around, um, challenging behaviours or when there's difficult conversations that are brought up mm. with us. So we do work really closely. Um, we do um, team meetings with the psychs and speeches and everyone around the child and really invest time in those and invest time in our networking. So we do have really close networks with our um, close companies that have single disciplinary mainly, um, but absolutely happy to work with anyone. The other thing is that I did at one point for two years, I worked in the same building. We created an overarching company with a speech and a psychology company. And that was the thought process behind it, that our teams would kind of get to see each other and it would be really great. But it was like a GP clinic. We were all behind closed doors. We didn't really see each other. Our lunches were at different times. Mm. People were coming and going. And so in theory, it was great, but in practice, it just didn't work out. And it was the same as having someone off-site in which you were calling them or sending them an email or jumping on Zoom with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had um, just OTs in in my practice and um, I think, and this is not going to happen, but I probably would go down that track of just one discipline. I think Mm. I probably would. I think I probably would. I think there's um, a lot of merit to it um, mm. and to preserve those other professional partnerships out there in the in the marketplace and yeah. yeah and that is what I found that when I had one speech pathologist on my mm. team I had every speech pathology in practice not wanting to refer into us and that's you know another thing is around client fit like at this stage mm. we've got access to you know 30 or 40 speeches just around the corner from us in two or three different practices as whereas if we had that on our team, we'd only have the option of maybe two or three speeches to start with. Mm. And so there's so much choice and control for the families if we're single disciplines. Yeah. Not that they have yeah. to see the in-house ones, but they tend to yeah. stick yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this kind of speaks to all of these decisions that you're just, you know, tossing around in that brain of yours day in, day out. What does your director's week look like? So I am really I constantly thinking, as you said. <laughs> um, but I try to structure my week in that I am actively in the clinics on like a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Tuesday, Friday, I am at home with my kids and I'm available as needed, but mm. generally try to not work those days as I mm. can. But I'm always checking Slack and emails and making sure there's nothing so I'm surveillance, missing. there's surveillance, yeah. yeah. And there's always the thought about like where to next and do we want to open mm. practices here and looking at what rentals are available and, um, mm. you know, we've got quite a few people that travel to us from Geelong to be part of our team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I would really like to be able to support them better by opening up closer to their homes Um, but whether that happens in the next What's six that or look months. Like? Yeah, yeah, that's that yeah. gonna look like what does that mean for the team? Yeah. Because that would be a big shift for us because it would mean that probably wouldn't have people working across mm. clinics as much because it's a bit further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is something that we haven't really done or yeah. that would be a change to the culture that really needs to consider. So I think as you know, running your own business, you're always mm. thinking about things mm. and what does this mean for that? And you never really switch off. Yeah. So, yeah. So where does your time go or where does your focus go on those three business facing days? Really goes into a lot of marketing in regards Mm. to like recruitment and thinking about the recruitment, goes into meeting with my leadership team. So making Mm. sure that they're all good and everything's in place and meeting with my practice managers a lot, 
a lot of the finance and reviewing our mm. um, rewards packages and what our wages are and making sure that we're staying competitive, but also mm. going into liaising with people like our website designers and doing my own mentoring, receiving mentoring and yeah. um, doing pod meetings where I catch up with other directors as well. And then also just debriefing with other directors because it's nice to have those really close connections. Um, yeah. I I didn't know we've spoken about this before, but um, I think, you know, there's enough work for us to be have good relationships with other OT practices as well. Yeah. It's not as it used to be in which we were in competition with each other. I think it's nice to be a network. And we had an incident happen um, the other day and, you know, I just jumped on the phone with Liesl from Building Block Therapy, who I know you know, mm-hmm. and it's so nice to be able to, know that we're in the same boat I mean where our clinics are so close to each other we're competing for staff we're competing for clients mm. if we didn't have wait lists but none of that matters in the sense that we just want to support each other and support businesses yeah 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 so good good um good networks as well in the allied health business world it's harder than you think to stay on top of everything you need to do to run a business whilst being fully present for your team and clients If you struggle with this, you're not alone. Pretty much everybody feels this way. Some days you feel like you're crossing a decent task off just to be reminded that you then have three new tasks to take at their place. The to-do list feels like it never ends. It can be overwhelming doing it all on your own and that is why we took it upon ourselves to reach out to help you out. We have created our monthly masterclasses so that you can join and connect with others, learn bite-sized business skills, and best of all, walk away from our masterclass with tasks ticked off your list. We can guarantee that each session will provide you with at the very least five gems that you can take and put into action right there and then. And trust us, as soon as you hop off our short and sweet session, you will want to take immediate action because that is the effect that Kathy Love and these masterclasses have. Each masterclass tackles a topic that has been niggling in the back of your mind and has moved further and further down your list. However, the sooner you nip this in the bud, the sooner you will free up your time and see the results in your business. Ready to nip your business woes in the bud and start taking practical action to maximize your results this year? Join one of our monthly masterclasses today. So fair to say in the last nine years, you've learned a lot about finances, a lot about HR, a lot about systems, a lot about team and marketing and all the rest. What what do you love the most? Like where's, where's your strong suit as a director? I love the networking. Like I love connecting with OTs Mm. and I love connecting with the other disciplines. So Mm. I love that. Um, yeah, that personal connection both inside my team and outside. That's what you do best. You can leave the spreadsheets yeah. uh, spreadsheets behind. Warwick likes spreadsheets, so that's why I needed him on. <laughs> Is he full-time? Um, like we both just, it's our only, it's our full-time jobs, but mm. we don't do full-time hours necessarily. Yeah. We yeah. would spread out over the week, but mm. they're not like a nine-to-five Monday to Friday. Yep, on the clock kind of stuff yeah so without uh kind of uh you don't have to tell us all of the the secrets what do you think dots is going to look like in I don't know let me pick a year or do you want to pick a year five years time ten years time what do you reckon in five years time I would really like to have like another like Geelong open and the eastern Mm. suburbs because I now live in the east and (laughs) you don't need to cross the bridge yes um and making sure that the leadership team's really structured 
and that that's all flowing really well. We've introduced mm. new pathways, which I think are really exciting. And um, I think you and I spoke the other day about um, I really want to have just people waiting to join the team. I think mm. we do recruitment well and I'm excited about the way that we mm. do that, but there's always there's heaps of room for improvement and heaps of things that I need to update, including, you know, our website. and I went um, and had a look after that. Yes, <laughs> our landing page of what people see. Yeah. Um, and so I think my ideal world would be that we've got OTs lined up to join the team and OTs that we really want who are waiting for us to have those mm. positions available. Um, yes. So. so what do you think about this whole workforce piece in the context of NDIS? You know, there's an NDIS in five years' time question there as well, but what do you yes. think is going to happen workforce-wise? I just think it's going to continually expand. There's going to be more and more opportunities for employment, more and more businesses popping up, and I think more and more competition in regards to what that looks like. I just think the universities struggle to keep up with the Mm. demand and particularly with our borders being closed the last couple of years, people not being able to come in has really affected the workforce. So it does feel like it's starting to stabilise a little, like there's a glimmer of hope in that it's starting to feel like it's stabilising a bit more we're getting significant more applicants than we previously have to positions. And so um, I think that some of the bigger companies are going to become less appealing potentially to what the smaller companies are offering. I think people are wising up to the hours that are being required in some roles and um, what they're not getting, what packages might sound like versus what the reality of those packages are. Could be, could be, could be. Um, And I think also we can get, well, we're starting to see it already with um, people coming in from overseas and overseas um, clinicians who want that holiday visa or looking at residency as well. So, you know, that wasn't a thing 12 months ago. Everyone was planning and talking and trying to anticipate when we could kind of go green light on that. But we're seeing those wonderful clinicians um, landing and getting started as well. So not to underestimate that, it might feel like a small number, but it still all helps. Mm. And I think, um, Cathy, back when I first started DOTS and you were kind of exiting your practice, Mm. um, you and I didn't have the resources that are available to directors now in regards to coaching us on how to advertise and how to market Mm. and what we need to be communicating to candidates. And we didn't have any of the funding options that were that are available now that create these opportunities and so I just think the support for directors is so much more than we ever experienced Mm. back 10 years ago and so I think it's a really exciting space for people to continue to educate themselves on um, what to do and how to do that and what they need to be thinking about and um, the session you ran the other night is a prime example of that in regards to um, upskilling people on what to be thinking about when they're recruiting. Yeah, yeah. My heart breaks from time to time. You know, people jump in for power calls and, you know, the conversation is, well, we've been recruiting for a year or trying to recruit for a year or we're in Sydney Metro and been trying to recruit for two years. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, um, wow, it doesn't have to be this difficult. I'm, mm. I'm we're not going to sugarcoat it like we can't guarantee this stuff, but it doesn't have to be, you know, this um, 
this monstrous, monstrous thing. And I think also some people think that recruitment is the solution to a whole lot of a whole lot of problems. Solution recruitment is the solution to the wait list. I'd always like to kind of challenge that as as well. More people in the business doesn't mean that it's going to be a better business, it's going to be more profitable, you're going to have more time off, that you're even going to get through your wait list. So I I I get curious when I hear about a big wait list, but clinicians that are yet a, a, a you know, slowly getting towards some sort of targets and some sort of really comfortable, sustainable productivity levels, yet the solution seems to be recruitment. Yes. Oh, there's so many moving parts as well, you know, as well, yes. you know. Yeah. yeah, so many. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's right. You really need to, going back to what are you thinking about as a director, you're always thinking about that balance because, um, you know, there was a time only about a month ago or two months ago in which I just felt like I was a HR manager the whole time. We well, probably were. You were. You, you were. Yeah. yeah. Head of people and culture for that yeah. those, those few weeks. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Definitely doesn't mean solutions mm. if you're recruiting and really thinking about what does that mean for the demands on your time. Yeah. And sometimes business owners think that they they their next recruit is, oh, absolutely, definitely a clinician. And sometimes their next mm. recruit is not a clinician. Their next recruit might be someone in a particular seat in the customer service team, or their next recruit could be a CFO type person or or a head of um a of people and culture or a head of or to come in and as a, a do some marketing um as well. So as businesses grow, um, you do need different people at different times for different reasons. Adding more clinicians isn't always isn't always what's needed. Um, no. And this is where, you know, it gets really interesting in terms of nutting out how the business will benefit from and the value that a non-sales producing role will have, but it will very much have a, a sales supporting role um, and add all sorts of different value, commercial value to the business as well. So, yeah. And so as, was, um, no, sorry, you go. You go. Um, I was just going to say, and as directors, it can be quite isolating. And so knowing mm. other directors or being able to jump in mentor calls with yourself or others just does open your eyes as to, I think sometimes people think, oh, we don't offer what other people offer, but I don't think you really know what other people offer unless you can really be talking to other people yep. and networking. Yeah. And when you meet other OTs, even if you're not looking at recruiting OTs, talking to them about what they love about their roles or what mm. they're getting mm. or sites or speeches or whoever your discipline mm. is or your target is. Mm. I think it's so valuable to just have those conversations and learn about other businesses because people are willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Because being a director is really, really lonely. It's one of the mm. top things we hear from um, our members and our boardroom clients. There's just this collective sigh of relief. Oh my gosh, you get it. You've had that as well. And oh, is that how you kind of got yourself out of that? And mm. um, we've always been very generous as clinicians across the industry over the over the years. And I think there's a growing collaboration of business owners as well, which is unbelievably mm. good for them personally, but also really, really good for the, the industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else in that uh, dream catcher of five years? Bit of Geelong, strengthening leadership yeah. team, anything else? Not that jumps to mind. I'm sure there is lots of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure there's lots. But we're just really focused on our clinics at the moment in regards yeah. to physical space because Footscray is a little bit old and tired and it would be nice to have 
uh, get a better space for that and things yeah. like that. So that's really our focus over the next mm. few years, stabilising our clinics and making sure that the physical environments are what we want them to be. Yeah, yeah. What do you think the NDIS will look like in five years' time? I was just talking about this with my group of other directors that we were just mm. talking about. It's so hard to know. Like we were just saying that there hasn't been a price increase in a couple of years, but there's definitely been increases to the cost in regards to yeah. um, everyone's super's increased and we've had to just take on that cost and um, not to mention rent and all those other fuel things. And, fuel and yeah. And so we're all just wearing these costs and it's just, yeah, have you got insights into where you think it's going to be? I wish, I wish. <laughs> um, I'm sort of in and out of conversations with a range of people, as you know, and there seems to be a little bit of a quietness. Uh, and is that a good thing or not? You know, there's a change of government. There's some key roles that they're recruiting for. Um, I think it's it's somewhat reassuring with um, – with Bill Shorten, with the portfolio. Um, what if it wasn't him that picked it up? I think, you know, that was great that he stepped in because he's he's got the full history on it. He's got commitment to it. He understands the the opportunities and the the pain points and you know, provider and participant perspectives as well. But there's still this quietness. And so, you know, what are they looking at? What are they thinking about? What do they think they'll change? Mm. Are they going to change anything or not? Where are they going to go with it? So um, trying to listen in to um, the media a bit, but there's not much happening on that front. Just it, it is a little hard to to read. I think they've got a lot of trust to build. A lot of trust to rebuild. Um, And I think they've really got to have a look at their systems and communications. Um, So a little uh, leaves a little bit to be um, desired. And, yeah, look, it would be great if therapeutic supports changed up. I think it would be great if groups, if everyone could Mm. understand how to run and price a group, I think that would be good. And I think the AHA piece is really, really going to get some heat as well. So, um, yeah, that will be a, a really potentially quite swiftly emerging career in the sector yeah. as well. I just wish it was more like um, faxia in that it was just all done through claiming opposed to yeah. some self-managed and some agency managed. I just find that really challenging in that, you know, it's meant to be an equitable service, but obviously there's English second language or Mm. lower socioeconomic or lower education status who just don't understand how to use their funds in the best way. Um, Well, we know about the underspend as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. um, I don't quite know where it's going. I think uh, Mm. they need to get, they need to recruit those couple of people to the board. I think that will be first step and they could well be reviewing a lot, a lot Mm. in-house. That probably doesn't guarantee any sort of fee or price price review. But, um, Mm. yeah. I think there's, um, for us, we just kind of feel like we just have to go with the flow. There's no other option Mm. of what there was. There was a lot of fear quite a number of years ago around Faxia funding drying up and what that would mean. And we didn't know that there would be this NDIS that came in and, Mm. you know, that's come in and taken the place. And so... I think we never know really what's coming and we've just got to advocate as best as we can and support our organisations to advocate so that we can make sure that we're not 
just sitting back and listening, but also proactively making sure that we're answering surveys when OT Australia send them out yeah, to get our viewpoint. Absolutely. In. Yeah. Yeah. And providing information up to them and not assuming that somebody else has and that they're mm. being bombarded. They may just be missing key pieces that business owners can contribute. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can contribute as well. Um, hmm, very, very interesting. It would be good to know more, but then if we knew more, we probably wouldn't like that either. (laughs) But it's, um, you know, something I am observing is that um, business owners are looking at diversifying their income streams. Mm. And I know you guys do some clinical supervision, I think. And, you know, there's, you know, sometimes when there is this pressure, this is where the diamonds come out. And a lot of businesses, I believe, have got diamonds sitting in their backyard. They've got other ways they can be bringing, um, exchanging value, um, whether it's clinical supervision or whatever they're they're dreaming up as well. So maybe this is a, a chance to kind of, you know, potentially unleash some of those other pilot programs and plans and those other income streams as well. Mm. Um don't know, don't know about your thoughts on that, but diversity yeah, in the right way can important. be good. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I think it's really important. Yeah, we do some um, clinical supervision. Also came out of the staff that we have um, quite a bit of experience on our team and not necessarily as many new graduates. So not mm. everyone has the opportunity to support someone below them because they don't all need mm. clinical supervisors. So we needed to create more OTs for our team to supervise to make sure that they had that is part of the workload that they wanted to be doing. So we went mm. external for that. Um, so definitely came from diversifying our income, but also from a need from a skills perspective. Um, and then also creating presentations. We've just developed a section on our website that we're going to start selling some of those presentations. And, oh, um, cool. Yeah. So really clinical specific not um business related or anything like that ot specific stuff and we're now running a series for our waitlist families as well on um just different ot topics that Mm. would be common quite things like toilet training and handwriting sleep and yeah yeah um and so yeah trying to create pathways like that that i'm sure there's way more um creative ideas out there but well, you've got yeah. to start somewhere and yeah. as much as anything, you don't want to be um, creating a whole zoo of, you know, income streams coming in because you're going to still enjoy your work and your, your marketing mm. has to be nuanced to that but still really, really effective and, and affordable. So something to be said for doing a couple of really niche things incredibly well and yeah. positioning yourself in the market for the go-to place for A, B and C and not trying to be, you know, the whole the whole shebang. And that's probably been something else that I've seen a shift in in the last sort of six to 12 months since COVID has come about is that when NDIS first came about, we saw this people kind of diversifying their um, clients that they would see. So if mm. they used to be zero to 12, all of a sudden they were going mm. to 18 or they were going up to or the whole mm. lifespan. Whereas now I think we're seeing more companies kind of niche areas where they're saying we just do physical clients or we just see kids under the age of 12, um, which I think is nice to see people realising their strengths and all their passion areas to be able mm. to create better supports in those areas. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, it, yeah, I, I totally see um, see that as well. And you mentioned something else um, a couple of minutes ago, and this is something that I've noticed as well, is 
have you are you seeing a lot of startups and new solopreneurs yes. out there? Yes, yes, says Hannah with her eyes shifting to the size of saucers. Just so like many, an insane but also amount. insane amount, but also an insane amount of inexperience going out there. Really concerning mm. um, some of the people who are starting up, and um, I just think there's so much to be learned from having a diverse foundation of experience before going to your own private practice. Um, I think that's what we're missing, what we're not seeing that used to happen. You know, for myself personally, I did three years of grade one hospital rotations and then Mm. went into two different early intervention centres for five years and then went and worked in two different private practices before I then started doing my own. And so that experience is just invaluable. The things that I still draw upon from those experiences and the leaders that I had in those opportunities, absolutely um, uh, why I'm the leader that I am today. Mm. I think going into business after a year or two years out is just so much missed opportunity for the experiences that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Look, our phones have been running hot since about September last year. Oh, gosh. Hell, heaven help us. That's nearly a year now with um, startups. And I think it came out of the back of the COVID and the lockdowns and the, well, maybe I can do it myself and maybe I can have yeah. some flexibility and it can work around family and, and it can and it can and it can. Um but you can also do startups the hard way and you can do startups mm. the smart way. And I yeah. think we'd probably both support, you know, solopreneurs getting in and getting some support or supporting all sorts of shapes and sizes to do it the smart way. Yeah. Because um, otherwise it can be very unfun. Yes. And I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, it's definitely how I mm. started mine, getting support from you really. Mm. And I think, yeah, it's absolutely essential that they're linked in to the right people and Facebook groups are not necessarily the right place oh, to be seeking that support. Gosh. One day yeah. I'm going to make an alias and start writing what I really think. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, I'd be kicked out of groups if I wrote what I yeah. often think. Yeah, I know. It is concerning. Um, not only small startups, like a lot of big companies just popping up from what seems like thin air that have just bought out a whole range of companies and mm, I don't even yeah. know what your um, company you sold where that's ended up being if that's been mm. sold again or sold again. Yeah, it's had a couple of uh, a couple of parents. The yes. DNA's out there somewhere. Yep. Yes. So yeah, there's just not only new startups but just those big companies coming from other parts of the country too, starting to open in Melbourne and. Yeah. Mm. Very dynamic. Very dynamic. Yeah. So in the last few minutes, you can have the talking stick. What would you like uh, listeners to be thinking about? I think really thinking about if you're a new graduate or you're an early career therapist or even an experienced therapist, really thinking about what do you want and Mm. that um, money is not the only reward in which you can get rewarded for the work that Mm. you do. It is, there's definitely the culture, there's the experience of the team, the things that you will learn from having different leaders is really valuable. And I just think that there's some big numbers being thrown around to new Mm, grads and um, early career therapists. And from a business perspective, how are those companies being able to do that? They're doing that by ensuring that you're billing the hours that you need to build to make sure that you can cover that wage 
So Mm -hmm. there's big differences in what you're being offered. And so knowing the right questions to ask, making sure that you're asking about supervision and asking about what does one billable hour is not comparable to another billable hour in a company. Maybe that one billable hour includes everything that you do for a family and another billable hour is only the face-to-face time you see. So they can all look very different and it's hard to articulate exactly what you need to be looking for, but you really need to be confident in what you want and where you want to be because those jobs will be there. It's about... um, Good yeah, fit for you, you yeah. that next supported step of your career. Yeah, and having open conversations with mm. different companies and, you know, hopefully that first job that you go into or even um, my favourites are getting people when they're two or three years out and they know what they don't want. Yes, I was going to say that before when you were adding to the list. It's it's okay to have a list of things that won't support you um, yeah. and that you don't want, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, everyone's offering similar things in regards to flexible hours or wages or mm. but what does that look like in regards to team culture yeah. and what does it how long have they retained their staff for mm. and what's the turnover and I had someone I interviewed the other day who said yeah I went for another company they said they were bringing on 15 new grads and they were saying how great that was and I thought that's not great that means you've got a lot of turnover <laughs> and I thought yeah well you're on the money but other people think oh great 15 other friends that I can work with yeah um, and context is important. It could be it could yeah. be either or. It could be great or disastrous. You know, yeah. we just don't know what the bigger um, kind of context um, context is. So, yeah. and it's okay to know that you know you've only been in a job six months and it's really not working for you to start to try and look elsewhere if it's yeah. really not the right fit for you. I think there's mm. previously been this perception that if you've got a lot of changeover in your job that you're unreliable, but I think there's so much confusion in the workplace. I think so much confusion for therapists at the moment. I don't envy them trying to compare positions. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Thank you so much for coming Mm. in and sharing the next uh, chapter. Well done you on um, Warwicka's BDM and moving house and growing team and getting through COVID and all of the good things. Wishing you all the best. Thank you. Great to chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.